This episode of RFK Refugees is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to ensure that there are future episodes and help this show grow, visit patreon.com slash rfkrefugees. That's patreon.com slash rfkrefugees. Enjoy the show. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, RFK Refugees podcast, uh, special 0.5 edition, 79 and a half, <laughs> 79 and a half edition of the RFK Refugees podcast. Joining us on the phone is a uh, former Washington Spirit player. Uh, she's a native of Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, you probably know her from the Washington Spirit, from DC United uh, supporters group stand to on the on Twitter from the DC United broadcast. Uh, it's Joanna Loman. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm so honored to be a part of the RK Refugees. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you can. You. It's okay not to lie. It's fine. It's. It's okay. To, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we're so glad to have you in here. Um, I, I guess first, uh, let's start. Uh, let's start with uh, some of the the recent. Uh, the recent uh, greatness that you brought us, which was uh, appearing on the DC United broadcast. Uh, how how was that? How, how did you enjoy that? I appreciate you using the adjective greatness in there. So <laughs> thank you, first of all. Uh, you know, it was, it was really challenging. I don't think people know how much goes into a broadcast like that, especially when you're watching the game on television while the team's playing um, in Montreal. I think that was something that you're never necessarily prepared for. And being it my first time, obviously there's some nerves involved with the broadcast. And you, know, you guys speak very highly of Dave Johnson. He's an absolute legend. There couldn't have been a better person for me to do my first broadcast next to. He just, you know, he throws you alley-oops. And uh, I think it's a lot of sensory overload. You have the broadcast team in your ear letting you know kind of what's coming up next when you're going to be on camera and then I'm listening to Dave and all of his insightful commentary and then I'm watching the game and I think about what I need to be saying or what I could be saying to add some value to this broadcast which can be quite difficult and uh, it's it's a lot it's um, it's a lot of work it takes a lot of energy because you're standing the entire time to make sure that you keep your energy high so it was a fantastic challenge for me. Um, would I want to do that every single weekend? Um, you'll have to come <laughs> back and ask me maybe another time. But, you know, so much credit to um, Devin and, and Dave who do, you know, do it every single weekend and put so much time and effort into making that broadcast as good as it can be. I guess how how overall was uh, – we all know Dave Dave is awesome. We, we love Dave Johnson. Um, I We – I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to keep it a little rear here. Not not a lot of fans have been necessarily happy with the Flow Sports uh, experience. How would you, when you had a, a short time in there, I know you're not, you know, in the back in the server room, you know, making sure the feed goes out, but how would you have sort of rated the experience when you were working with Flow Sports? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great comment that you made. I know people have been critical of Flow Sports and having to pay twelve ninety five for um, what they're given you know, with that fee. Um, I think, again, they're doing the best that they can, and there's so many challenges when you're trying to broadcast the game when you're not there, only seeing it through one camera, um, you know, as John so kindly pointed out to me before I did the broadcast, and really being at the mercy of kind of what comes at you. And 
so that is, of course, has its challenges. And I'm sure that the viewers want more content, not just the game, but weekly content um, or, you know, other MLS games. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm hoping that they will continue to improve that broadcast and adjust it. And I'm not exactly sure what that would mean, but I'm, I'm sure that's what everyone pretty much desires. That was a that was a very fan centric answer there, Joanna. I like that. That was, that was that was nice. So I have a I have a offbeat question here. So I've watched you know all this season. I watched Dave. I watched Devin, and it, it very much appears that they're wearing a they've got a business on top, party on the bottom situation with their clothes. It looks like they've got their suit pressed on top. They've got a dress shirt. It doesn't look like it's tucked into anything. It just sort of seems like it's hanging. Do they have shorts on underneath? Is that what's going on? Are they? Is it just super casual? <laughs> oh, I hate to break your break your dream. It's not much of a party in the bottom. Oh, um, bummer! It's, it's just <laughs> yeah. Dave, David's business on top and bottom, but you know his spirit is a party all day long. So that's really that's what true. he gets, gets away with. You, you I, I did want to say we had talked about it beforehand. I said that you've jumped right into the into into the chaos world of doing your first game on a on a monitor across the country. <laughs> you did you did very well you did very well with all yeah, of the things that were going against you what uh what did you did you for preparation did did you i would imagine what i would do is i would watch other produced games and sort of try to do color on my own i'd mute the tv and try to try to do it what did you do to sort of prepare yourself to to jump into this crazy experience that you've got to go to a lot of preparation went into the broadcast for me personally because I just had a lot of information to take in on the MLS. Obviously, I'm much more um, invested and engaged in the NWSL because I played in it for so long. I know the players better. I know the teams better. I know the overall structure of the league. And so for MLS, not that I don't know those things specifically, but it, it definitely was you know hours of preparation of knowing the rosters, um, especially Montreal rosters, which I'm not as familiar with, pronouncing last names. Um, that can always be a challenge. You don't want to sound like an idiot and pronounce the last names wrong. We agree. Uh, we agree with that one. If you've listened to this podcast, yeah. we are uh, we have the share, share that affliction and do it in front of a lot yeah. less uh, viewers and listeners. <laughs> also, too, listening to your podcast was, was absolutely helpful for me and listening to whatever podcast I could on DC United, trying to stay abreast of like the current events. And it's amazing how quickly things change. Even if I watched, you know, three games previous for DC United, it was it was almost as if that was um, too far back, right? You have to stay so yep. up to date on the current events, the players coming in and out, um, the mood of the team. And, you know, for that game, it was somewhat of a, of a unique game because they were coming off of three losses in eight days. So there was just a lot to go through. I made sure to watch Montreal's game on that Wednesday night prior to get an idea of how they play, um, watch highlights of some of their players to get an understanding of their strengths and weaknesses, um, so, yeah, a lot of that and also, too, I, I know Dave from years past and we kind of run in the same circle, so I felt like I had a good rapport with him going in. So I felt comfortable um, in that role. It was just a matter of really knowing my stuff on DC United and also the MLS. So along those lines, you, you're you also a fan of DC. There's, a, there's like a, a level, and I understand, and more so for you, there's a level, there's like a DC fan level, then there's a talking about DC online level, then there's a hosting a weekly show about DC United level, and then there's broadcasting on the actual team channel television broadcast. So that's the, the apogee, it's the pinnacle of figuring out how to talk about DC United. With all that in mind, 
where so if you've been listening to this podcast you know that sort of like the beginning of the year i think we were really really high on this team and we had real high hopes with where this team was going to end up and we are where we are now and it's, it's been a long ride and it's been a lot of confounded expectations what are your sort of general feelings about the narrative of this season the way it's moved uh the way it's evolved and sort of what that means for both the rest of this season and maybe even sort of the the team in 2020 yeah, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and um, you know, I've listened to it more as of late. And you guys definitely hit um, a low after the <laughs> Philadelphia game. And you know, I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the feelings involved in that. And I understand that there were expectations going into this season uh, with Wayne Rooney, um, Lucho, and just that relationship, and just true hopes of of doing well this season and making the playoffs. So having that that slump in the season, I think really crushed people's dreams. Um, I don't know necessarily if, you know, they're back. We don't want to necessarily dramatize it. And I think they're a team that's working through their struggles. I think um, like most teams, they've been unlucky with injuries, Uh, you know, Rooney's suspension and missing so many games, I think hurt the team. So, you know, I am, I am hopeful for these last games. I think that win, that Montreal win, um, pretty decisive in terms of the scoreline really boosted their spirits it seemed as if I think that was a pivotal point in the season where it could have gone either into the toilet or a a little brighter note and I felt like they really pulled through so you know my hope is a home playoffs um, home playoff appearance and this time to to win that match and really get deep into the playoffs uh, Joanna, I, I want to talk to uh, to you. I'm glad you brought up Wayne Rooney and the suspensions uh, because uh, undoubtedly in this stretch, um, he's been made to be maybe a little bit of a scapegoat um, for and you know the move to to Derby and everything like that. You know, he's saying all the right things about how he's uh, you know checked in. He's completely here. He's here to try to win a championship. You've played your you've played for many teams on on different levels in college and in the professional ranks. I'm sure you've had a player on your roster who you knew was just completely checked out, just waiting till the end of the year when they were going to move on to something else. Do you get the impression, you know, I I don't know how close I know you did the broadcast and everything like that. I don't know how close you've been with the team. Do you get the impression that Wayne Rooney is checked out? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't necessarily think he's checked out. I think he is. I think he's frustrated and he seems a bit angry with the league. And now that he's leaving, he's allowing all of that emotion to to affect his game. Um, we heard his tweets after the trip across the country and flying back the twelve hour trip, um, and then the red card. So I think he's not as deliberate and purposeful with his actions now, and that's sort of biting him. Um, that's coming back to, to bite him. And so I don't know if that means checking out. I think he just doesn't have the same amount of care and deliberateness um, in the way that he's holding himself. Um, I think it's been hard with his family situation and his wife and kids going back to England. But maybe now that they're back and they're settled, um, there isn't so much turmoil with that transition. And hopefully that will help him on the field be a bit more settled if that all makes sense because um, we've seen a you know a very emotional Wayne Rooney recently and what we really need is a, is a level-headed the captain that we've had um, for the past year and a half and uh, someone that's going to lead us into the playoffs we, we really need that version of Rooney and I guess next game will be the test to see if if he's 
willing and able to be that person. Let's shift gears here. We've got we've got finally at our disposal a a a Washington Spirit expert. Clearly, NWSL particularly uh, no, has been following this team for much longer than we have. Unfortunately for us, it's a it's a bit of an it's we're a bit of, we're a bit of a newcomer to this. But uh, RFK refugees love a cliche, uh, and this season has been a tale of two halves: the the pre the pre World Cup half of this season, and then and then when players returned from their national teams and sort of. Uh, reinforce their other NWSL uh, franchises. And the Spirit started this season off, I would say, probably confounding expectations based on their performance last year. Really started off hot. Uh, I believe they were in second place, maybe, or third place when the World Cup ended. Uh, And it has Mm -hmm. gone slightly another direction since then. Uh, Somewhat inconsistent. They haven't been blown out, but they've been in games, but they really haven't been scoring, I think, at the pace. And the defense hasn't been as tight as it was before. Give us give us sort of for people who have uh, I think some of our listeners have gotten some of our listeners have been longtime spirit fans. Some of the folks are just now getting into it. Give me sort of a is that is that review of the season so far? Would you say that's accurate? Would you say that's sort of the, the vibe of how the season's gone? Yeah, I think that's accurate. You know, they were at the top of the table at one point in the season, and that was I think to many people's surprise, I think if you uh, talk to the other coaches around the, around the league, they, they really believe that the spirit is one of the top teams in terms of their quality of play, um, their brand of soccer on the field, but they just, uh, they haven't really been able to put it together in the second half of the season. Uh, You know, we've been missing Rose uh, for several weeks now with uh, concussion. Um, Mal has been often injured. So we haven't really been able to take advantage of their productivity, which they had in the World Cup, um, and the level of play they've had internationally. Uh, I don't think we've seen that quite yet domestically. We haven't really been able to tap into that potential, and that I think that hurts us. You know, we saw how electric um, and magical Rose Lavelle can be on the field. We just haven't been able to see that due to her getting smacked in the face with that ball in in Portland. So I think that's been one of the issues. I think they're also a very young team, um, and young – players aren't necessarily used to the grind of the season. So you hit midsummer and you start to, you, you somewhat hit a wall. And uh, I think we've seen that lull with the spirit team. They've kind of fallen with, uh, you know, that, that tiredness, uh, the midsummer tiredness. And I think that's, that's due to, you know, new players in the league. Um, a lot of new players on this team getting to know each other. You can have, somewhat of a honeymoon period in the first part of the season. And then as other teams start to gel and click and pick up steam, um, you can often, you know, fall behind and they haven't been blown out in any games. You know, they've often lost games by, by one goal, which can be somewhat heartbreaking if you consistently keep losing those close games and they can add up and it can start to degrade confidence. And, you know, in the beginning of the season when you're going in, to the games you're feeling you know you're feeling great you're coming off a win you've consecutive wins and now it's more of okay this is a big game for us because we have to turn it around and that's a very different mindset um, for a lot of these players and you know also too a lot of the players come from top-notch college teams a lot of the the new players so now getting used to okay how do you come back from a loss how do we come back and um, stay together stay gelled um, while players are coming in and out that's that's very difficult to have players coming in and out for a World Cup and the Victory Tour, it's just disruptive, regardless of who those players are. They could be, you know, the kindest players in the world, which Rose and Mal are, but it's just disruptive to the team as a whole. So I think there's a lot of challenges to deal with, and 
when this season started, I I felt like year three they are going to be top of the league because I just felt like they needed those three years to gel. So I think that's what we're seeing this season. I'm glad you brought up. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the 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 I guess the disruption of not only the World Cup but then after the World Cup because I don't know if you had a chance to listen to my previous show. Um, I expressed a, a little bit of I guess frustration. I think it was the 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 North Carolina Courage game. You know, it's after the World Cup. You have you know people. This, this is your opportunity to to grow the NWSL. And you know, I understand. You want to honor the the players who went out and won the World Cup. It, it was amazing, but I, I kept wondering, you know, if it's kind of frustrating when you know you're you're hearing all these stories, you know, about the NWSL. You know, it, it's growing, but you know, also, you know, it's kind of teetering on the edge, sort of like you know the early days of MLS, uh, as to whether it'll even you know be around next season. That that to me took me back, and then it, it's kind of frustrating when. U.S. soccer as a whole suddenly says, "Up, oh, we're going to play, you know, three friendlies and NWSL. We're going to schedule, you know, we're going to schedule these, you know, we're not going to care about the NWSL schedule and how these players coming back could really be a boost for these teams. You know, I imagine as an owner, that's got to be frustrating. I'm curious, like what your perspective on all that is, because I found that as someone who wanted, you know, to see Rose Lavelle and, and Mallory Pugh and all those players come back to the Washington spirit and try to make a run for the playoffs. I found it very frustrating that then suddenly, you know, they're getting pulled out to, to, to play a, a bunch of friendlies. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think part of me is, is happy because the victory tour is much shorter than it has been in previous years. And I think in previous years it's been 10 games and this year it's five. So they've, they've, you know, allowed the players and our team to play more with their club, which I think has just been so important. And I think that you saw the national team players really promote their club teams during this World Cup, which again seemed like something new for us. It always felt like, you know, we were, you know, the ugly stepsister, so to speak. And we were almost non-existent um, in comparison to the U.S. Women's National Team. But now it feels more like we're walking side by side. Um, which has just been such a, a boost for the league, as you guys have seen. Attendances have been through the roof. Audi Field sold out the first game for Spirits there. This weekend, I think it's trending sort of towards the same numbers. So um, in, previous, in previous World Cup cycles, it's been, it's been a bump, but it hasn't been sustainable. I think this time it felt different. It felt like a tipping point where it, there is more <coughs> sustainability, but there, it's still disruptive to have these players coming in and out, especially when um, – in previous seasons, most of the fans would come to see these specific players. I think the women's game is still quite young in the United States that fans aren't loyal to teams. They are loyal to specific players. And when you pull them out of their markets, you really affect the fan base. So it's, it's been better this year. But again, I think, we can, I think it can still take a step, um, step further and have the players be around more. Um, but I know they did concede on the 10 to five games and um, <clears throat> it's a better relationship, but I agree with you that it, it needs to even get, it needs to go further. They made up for the game cuts by making the tickets like $7,000 at the Rose bowl. I think was their, <laughs> I think that's how they made up for the change. Um, so you, you've lived through, you played through some of the lean years. I would characterize in NWSL. You played in a league that folded. Um, you played for the DC United women's team. Uh, mm-hmm. so you, you've been around the, you've been around the women's soccer block in the United States. Um, and, and like you said, it seems like this is a big bounce. There's been bounces before. Uh, we, we look at everyone fixates on 
you know, attendance numbers or the TV deal. What does it feel like to you? What does this feel like to you? What does it, what is it going to take for this to sustain in your mind, this sort of bump that we're, we're experiencing? And what is the next big step that has to occur? Is it, you know, is it as about better, better pay for the non-national team players? Is it about better facilities? Is it about more teams? What's the, what's the thing that's going to take to sort of make this, this where we're at stay and then also take the step to the next level that it needs to go to? Yeah, you know, I want to say all of the above, but um, I'm going to be realistic. And we made some serious mistakes in in the past when it came to a when it came to a domestic league here in the United States. I was a senior in college, supposed to go top five in the draft when the WSA folded. Then, um, like you said, I played in the second league. That one folded also. And I think we've we've made the mistakes of um, really projecting huge fan bases, lots of people in the stands, playing in big stadiums. Um, huge staff having our league offices in New York City you know we wanted it all we wanted it fast so I think we really have to understand that this is going to be a slow growth and having at least a minimum standard for for teams currently in the league um, and also any team that comes in so um, you know there's some teams in this league currently that it's hard it they lag very far behind a team like Portland um and that gets, you know, 20000 a game, um, has the best of facilities. I, I want to see the, the higher, the, the bottom dwellers come up. Um, that's something that needs to happen. Uh, I also think um, just continuing to really sell, sell the fans, get them into the stadiums. I, we still need, I think, a longer proof statement for this growth from the World Cup. We need to keep it sustainable. Um, it helps that the women's national team um, is still, it seems like everyday news, um, what they're doing, continuing the conversations about gender empowerment, equal pay. Um, that's really keeping us um, in, in the forefront of people's minds. And it's going to take people making that decision of, of actually attending a game, right? Everyone says, oh, we support women's sports, but have you ever actually been to a game? So really that's going to be something that's important is ticket sales um, and you know, I'd love to see the spirit play in Audi Field every game. Um, is that necessarily realistic? Not quite yet. I don't think it all comes down to numbers and financials. And um, every team is owned by uh, it's a franchise. Every team is owned by different owners, and they have some have deeper pockets than others. And you can't ask an owner to lose millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to to run their team. So, you know, it's a financial decision that it comes down to when playing in Audi Field. Um, and the number one thing is making sure that the team is sustainable. Um, we don't want to make those same mistakes where we came out, you know, really fast and hard and spent, you know, a three-year, a five-year budget in three years and went bankrupt. So I think it's really understanding that's still somewhat of a grassroots movement and and taking it slowly. Um, I hate saying that, but I think that's the honest truth. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, get to a question because this is something, you know, that's been asked around, especially after uh, the first match at Audi Field for the Spirit. Uh, This comes from James Lambert, um, who's the uh, Screaming Eagles president. Uh, He said, is there any argument that the Spirit should not be playing their home matches at Audi Field? If so, what is it? And I look at your bio and I I see you're from I know you're from Silver Spring, Maryland. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. I'm sure that Maryland has a uh, soft place in your heart. It's okay. We all make mistakes. We know Virginia's better. It's fine. But <laughs> but, uh, but I guess to answer his question, uh, should the spirit, do you think the spirit should, you know, maybe move away from 
from the soccerplex and play permanently at Audi Field. And if so, oh. it, it, or, or as, a, as a time split, make you just you just made the really good point about the the financials needed to make sense. Is do you see a you know is a more possible, more realistic thing, a, more than two games, five games, six games, like a like a more equitable split versus a full time change, which you already sort of said is is probably a no go for from a money perspective. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think we have to find that sweet spot. Um, more than two games, but I don't think you'll see an entire season at Audi Field. It's just more expensive to host a game there. More concessions, more employees. Um, it's, you know, everything is, is a little bit more expensive. So playing at the Soccerplex for, you know, since we've been there has been our, our sustainable piece of we can fill that stadium. Um, it's an electric atmosphere. So I think that We'll still have games at the Soccerplex. It's still a beautiful field. People love it. Um, it's really amazing when it's when it's filled and kids are sitting on the on the hill. And um, it, it's a it's a beautiful atmosphere. But I think we will see the team playing. I can't give an exact number, but definitely more than two games at Audi Field next season, especially if the fans keep coming out in the numbers that they are now. You know. Um, since there's only two games, are people super excited about those games and more people are coming out? If you spread that out, seven, eight games a season, what would the numbers look like? It's just a lot of having to project and um, you know, really think about what those numbers would look like to make sure the team is staying you know, financially viable because the last thing we want is a team to fold because they wanted to play every game in a massive stadium. Yeah, we love the Plex. We would just like to pick it up with a crane and move it uh, substantially <laughs> closer to both of us. Um, so let's let's talk about the game that's coming up this weekend. I think it's probably it's a it's like we sort of alluded to it already. It's it's a big uh, it's a big game. Uh, we're looking at the Spirit are currently sitting in sixth. Uh, they've got a game in hand uh, on a few of the teams that are above them because of the cancellation against Orlando. Uh, but they're playing the team that's directly above them uh, in uh, Rain FC. Megan Rapino uh, played a little bit for the first time after the World Cup. She, I think, about 20, 30 minutes. She, they expect she's going to play again. I think a lot of fans will be excited about that, particularly after uh, what happened in the Orlando game, where everyone all of a sudden got hit with the injury bug at once. Uh, most of the, all of the casual, all of the casual World Cup fans were probably a little uh, upset, but then they got treated to a win. So, and they, and they seemed like they walked away happy. Uh, but uh, can you talk a little bit about about this game, about what the Spirit can hope to do to sort of turn things around? They've had a long break. They've had a lot of work, a lot of training opportunities. Mal Pugh's getting healthy. Uh, just sort of set us up for this game. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Seattle's a good team. They've always been a good team um, ever since, really, the, the league started. And they have some, some star-studded players. Megan Rapino played last game, so it's good to see her on the field because I know people are coming to watch her. Um, I think player for player, we are the stronger team. When we went out there and played against them in Seattle, you know, you play on a matchbox. The field is insanely small. Um, it's it's definitely a strength of theirs to be able to play there um, in their home games. They're more used to the field, and so we didn't really come away with the result that we wanted. But I think uh, with the crowd on our side this weekend, I think we'll pull away with a win on this. Um, and then the spirit goes and has three games I think in eight days so this is a, a difficult stretch for them and this will this will really determine whether or not they can make that playoff push um, you know Mal Pugh will be back for this weekend she's healthy again she will be a huge boost for us I think she adds a different element um, to the team and we have had a break so it's, I think that was really nice for the players they 
uh, unexpectedly had the weekend off when the Orlando game was, was pushed to October. And so I know many of them took time off, rested their bodies. Um, as you guys know, when you get into the grind of the season, you can really have um, some niggles that are difficult to consistently play through. So people got to rest. Um, so I think they're going to be hungry, and I think they're going to come out with the energy that the crowd brings. Uh, I know the last game at Audi Field was incredible. Um, the players are extremely excited to play in front of the home crowd in that stadium and to really put on a show. So I'm looking forward to the game. I'll be sitting fieldside with a bunch of my friends, and I really hope that all the D.C. community comes out. Are you guys going to be there? I will be there. I, I unfortunately okay. will not. I live in Richmond. It's a little bit of a far yeah, drive. That, yeah. <laughs> Um, I will be there though. So I, I am very excited yeah. about this opportunity. Uh, we uh, only got to make it out so far once to Boyd's this year. This is if they do do three or four games or five games, and they made like a mini plan, I'd buy it in a second. I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people that would too. I think that I think you do make a good point about sort of you know what is the what does the interest level look like when it's no longer the main event and just sort of like a a function of the of the stadium and just like a part of the season. I still think that the the interest is absolutely there. Um, I think that having it in that venue with you know I, I don't know if sellout is the is the goal every single time, particularly if you bump up to six. But I think that the the market can definitely support it. The market's eager to. I think a lot of people are in DC don't like to leave DC for anything. They don't want to go to Arlington sometimes. So much less Boyd's on a weekday. Uh, somewhat of a hard, a hard bridge for them to cross but I, i'm excited about i'm excited about saturday and i'm excited about next year where this becomes a bit more of a uh slightly regular more regular occurrence and they really need to win yeah. on saturday because i don't want to go play sam kerr in chicago needing absolutely needing three points <laughs> on the 21st because she's a yeah woman position yeah right exactly that's going to be a hard game um and they, they would be coming off so it's chicago and then i think they go to they go to houston midweek um, so it's going to be a, a long stretch of, of hard away games for them, and this will really determine their season. So, you know, if you would have said the Spirit makes the playoffs this season, be, the beginning, I, I think that would have been tremendous. But now seeing them, and I still go to training, I see them every single day, I think um, making the playoffs is an expectation for them. And so I hope that they meet that expectation. I think they're good enough. All right, uh, Joanna, you've been really nice for us. I hope you can spare just a couple more minutes. Um, it, it, I think – the next topic is something that has been discussed all summer um, with regards to the U.S. women's national team, and that and has been with their uh, their lawsuit uh, with U.S. soccer over um, pay equity. Um, you know, I, I don't think I really need to give much lead to it. I, I just want to get your perspective uh, and answer this question: uh, the uh, how much more should the U.S. get paid uh, than the U.S. men's team at this point? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I've been just so proud of all of the players for for standing so united and, and strong in this matter and winning the World Cup in the fashion that they did with all that pressure on their shoulders. I just, you know, I haven't seen anything like it. It seems like and I was, it was beyond my wildest imaginations. Um, and to see, again, to still see them, you know, in, in the daily news, it seems like um, is you know, a dream come true for someone who has played her whole life and I feel like have, you know, contributed to where they are now. So, it's just been amazing to see and you can tell that they are really serious about this. You know, they pulled out within three days of mediation with U S soccer. Um, it seems to be going to trial, I think next spring, um, earlier than both groups wanted. So it'll be interesting to see 
kind of the fight that U.S. soccer puts up. Maybe this will be settled before it even goes to court because when it comes to public opinion, I don't feel as if U.S. soccer has a leg to stand on. Um, I am interested to see legally, you know, where this could go in the court of law because it was a collective bargaining agreement, right, that they, mm-hmm. they agreed to, that they're arguing over now. So I don't necessarily know from a legal standpoint how that unfolds. Um, but I think U.S. soccer really needs to concede on, on all of their requests. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, to be quite honest. Do you guys know the exact numbers, what they're asking for? Not off the top of my head, no. <laughs> yeah. So I know that there's I was... instructors. We, all, we, get, we understand that. You know, the, the men get paid while in camp. Um, they get paid bonuses. The women get paid a salary. So it's, it's some of it is comparing apples and, to oranges, but I think there's certain things that, that are comparable and equitable, and they're not willing to back down from those exact issues. I was glad that they pulled out so quickly out of arbitration when they saw how it was going to go because I I was concerned. I, I, I sort of felt like Hope Solo had a point when they came back uh, and they had basically the entire universe on their side and they agreed to step out of the lawsuit and go right to arbitration because they had all of the leverage at that point and I was afraid that mm-hmm. sort of there, there would be sort of the goodwill of everything that, and, you know, you know, words are cheap outside of an arbitration, you know, in, in the in the media are cheap. So I was afraid that it was going to go wrong. But they, you know, they, they like you said, they stayed together, they stayed disciplined, and they realized that their offer, that U.S. soccer's offer was not anywhere near acceptable to what they wanted. And, and they yeah. still have, the conversation is still on their side. Like you said, they're still in the media every day. It's, it's, I think that uh, if a positive result were ever going to happen, it's all the things that they've done. They've done everything. They made all the right steps. Like you said, they they had the entire universe stacked against them on this. They yeah. won the World Cup in a decisive way, in like the most strong possible way they could. And they basically said, you know, we say we're we say we're the best, and we're going to back it up. And then they did it. And now it's like, well, clearly now you need to pay us because we yeah, we talked yeah. the talk and we walked the walk. It's it, it was very very cool. I I you don't see that thing in sports. It's or any in life, really, it, to people that see no. them deliver like that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's just been almost unfathomable what they've been able to accomplish um, through their actions and words through this World Cup process, and to see them come back and and we're selling out and they were sell stadiums. You really feel like the momentum is carrying on. Yeah, I mean, they're I mean they're selling. I mean, more people showed up to that Rose Bowl game than are going to be you know here watching them take on Uruguay. Uh, the men take on Uruguay. So yeah, in my opinion, it's it's past the point of 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 really talking about it the, the u.s soccer needs to step up needs to pay them fairly at the very least and potentially pay them more um they yeah. and and you've got the olympics coming up too they, they this is their they have the perfect moment in my opinion because they have another big tournament coming up um so in my opinion it's the perfect time to to you know to to really stand firm and say this you know we you know, you need to pay us. We we've done more than enough to, to grow the game here in the U.S. and you need to to pay us like that. So, um, so yeah, I I hope I hope that you know. Obviously, I want to see them in the Olympics, but I hope that they keep up this strong uh, this the keep being as strong as they are, and um, and I hope they get they get exactly what they deserve, and they deserve um, a lot from what for what they did this uh, this summer. Um, Joanna, yeah. thank thank you so much for joining us. Um, you've been awesome. You've gone a little bit over, I think, what we thought, but you've been amazing to come on the show. Um, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, plug whatever. You, what, I'm leaving the floor open to you. Plug what you want to plug. <laughs> You're so sweet. Well, 
Um, I'm your local celebrian, so I'm a celebrity lesbian, and um, you'll see me all around the community. Uh, I'm currently working to go to Nigeria in about a week and a half, um, hectically trying to get my, my visa to get over there and work with the State Department uh, and run programs um, in the southeastern part of Nigeria um, around human trafficking, um, meeting with students and teachers and coaches over in that area. Um, I will hopefully still be working closely with DC United and Audi Field to really continue to make that area a cultural hub for for the city. Um, and also, too, I'm a professional speaker, so I'm doing a lot of speeches in October. And I've launched my own online course called Define Your Beauty, which has been um, such a cool piece of my life and has really helped people to transform and really love and accept themselves. So all of that stuff you can find um, <clears throat> on my Instagram at Joanna Loman 15 occasionally on Twitter, I should do a better job, but I'm not on there as much. And, uh, you know, I, I love, I love DC. I grew up here. You guys know that. And I love the energy, the, the, the soccer love in this area. And I, I want to be out there with the people and get to know, get to know everyone here in this city. So I, I really hope people you know, keep in touch with me, um, contact me because, you know, I love to party and uh, I'm here. So I think that's about it. All right, Joanna, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we will definitely, hopefully try to have you on in the future. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, th- yep, yep, absolutely. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. And we will catch you all uh, next week. Vamos. Vamos.